Welcome to Carolina True Crime, a podcast from WMBF News. I'm Brad Dickerson, Digital Content Manager. We're taking a deep dive into some of our area's most infamous crimes, some with clear endings and others where questions remain. joining us for another edition of Carolina True Crime. I'm Brad Dickerson, Digital Content Manager. I'm here with anchor Eric Weisfeld and today we're going to be taking a look at a horrific case uh, from the East Coast, actually from our nation's capital, that uh, filtered down to our community very recently. We're talking today about the Potomac River Rapist. Um, Eric, let's go back in time almost 30 years. Um, tell us a little bit about um, the Potomac River Rapist and um, his crimes. Sure, and this is something that so many of us who are old enough to remember, remember it happening but not necessarily hitting our neck of the woods, whether we were um, in in Myrtle Beach or just in the surrounding area because we did think of it in the Upper East Coast in the DC area, uh, more north of where we are. However, as we will find out, there was a connection to us just recently which made all of our jaws drop. But this also uh, is a very old cold case that has been, like you said, nearly three decades. It started and way back in 1991, so between 1991 and 1998, the Potomac River Rapist is accused of raping nine women throughout the D.C. area. So information that the FBI produced showed that victims were attacked in their homes. One was an 18-year-old babysitter and a mother whose infant was in the home at the time of the attack. Wow. And there were actually like seven of the nine attacks that were linked by DNA. All of them were linked by the suspect's similar violent methods, according to the FBI. But for so many years, we went without knowing. We knew, or at least authorities thought, that because there was such a similarity in the incidents, the rapes, that it was the common person doing this, and there was, in fact, a serial rapist, but we did not have the DNA technology available way back then to help us in the way that we do now. That last victim that we had was 29-year-old Christina Mirzayan, and she was a D.C. intern. The Potomac River rapist allegedly killed her, though, August 1st of 1998 by bludgeoning her face and her head with a rock. So now we're going from a serial rapist to what authorities believe will also be a murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, yeah, and just um, as we said, yeah, the, there were nine victims, and this last one was um, the the lone victim who was, un, you know, unfortunately was uh, found deceased um, after her attack. And um, you know, what, where did this investigation go? Obviously, as we said, you know, this went on for several years in the D.C. area. Um, I can only imagine uh, it must have terrorized that entire area, that entire region, and just that it happened for so many years. So where did the investigation lead? Where, you know, what, um, what were police and other law enforcement agencies doing to try to catch the Potomac River rapist? Diligently working. They never gave up hope. They never gave up efforts. And, you know, we see these different types of stories about serial rapists all over uh, media on television. And then Potomac River rapist was one of them that you would see on TV as they continue to try to solve this cold case. But a task force was made up uh, of the FBI authorities in Montgomery County, which is in Maryland, also D.C. police, the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C., all formed to capture the Potomac River Rapist. And then after Mirzayan's body was discovered, 
a sexual assault kit was actually performed on her, and DNA from an own, unknown male at that point was identified. So they had the ability to identify through DNA at that point. And then the court records show that the FBI notified Montgomery County, Montgomery County authorities that the DNA profile actually matched the DNA that was submitted from the unsolved Potomac River rapist cases in that county. So I think that was one of their big breaks at that mm -hmm. point. Sure, and obviously this was, you know, the late 90s, um, but DNA technology and, you know, identifying DNA, um, that science has just, you know, grown by leaps and bounds. And we think about, I think, popular shows like CSI and, sure. you know, a lot of criminal uh, shows like that, they really kind of popularized the notion of using DNA to catch a murderer's rapist, but um, it's it's not just science fiction, it's science fact, and um, that is in fact, you know, what kind of made a break in this case. But um, kind of getting my ahead of myself there, kind of what, um, you know, they've got the DNA and what, um, kind of where did the investigation go from there? I think that you also made a good point, though. I think it, the, one of the important things is when the media comes in and they keep these cold cases alive, in fact, it was media attention to the cases that led to more than 100 tips and leads that were generated over those 20 years. So eventually, Giles Warwick was identified as a possible suspect. That was through forensic genealogy, DNA testing, and genealogy research, and authorities learned that he was actually living in our area, in Conway, South Carolina. So that's when our bells start going off. Absolutely, and I think um, when we heard that you know he's you know they were serving that search warrant, I think it's safe to say all of our jaws were on the floor because, like you said, you know those of us who were of age, we remember this case. Um, I know personally, I I remember this. I don't remember it vividly, but I do remember when Christina Merzain was discovered. I remember that being on the news. So, yeah, when we heard the name Potomac River Rapist, yeah. uh, all of our ears perked up. Yeah, because that was something, yeah, one of those serial rapists that we remember hearing about and there was never any closure. So you always keep that in the back of your mind. Well, just recently, November 12th of 2019, detectives from the D.C. area actually interviewed Warwick at his Conway home where he consented to providing a DNA sample. This was very interesting because I remember when we sent reporters there and covered the story after we were learning that we had a possible connection and neighbors in the area said that he was just a neighbor. He seemed friendly enough um, that they didn't notice any red flags at all. But the surprising thing I always found was that he actually did consent to providing that DNA sample. And authorities say that that sample, that really, really was a turning point for us because it matched the sample that was taken from the sexual assault victims and from Mirzayan, and a warrant for Warwick's arrest at that point was issued. It's it's so interesting you mentioned that um, the neighbors, they said, you know, he seemed just like a normal person. Um, and you this isn't the first case that um, you've heard about this, where, you know, somebody that's on the run from the law, from law enforcement, that they're in a neighborhood, and they seem like picture-perfect um, neighbors, and you just never would think that. And right. it's almost, it almost seems maybe a little cliched, but case like this it was true and obviously you know Mr. Warwick has not been convicted of these right. crimes as of yet but still the neighbors are saying you know seemed like a stand-up guy. Enough uh, I guess enough evidence at this point that they thought it was worth pursuing and that he was um, apprehended and also we should point out that he'd been living in Conway for about a year at the time of his arrest so what's interesting and what goes in my mind as a journalist is and again he has not been convicted 
if he, it does lead to a conviction, did he just kind of get it all out of his system and then begin to live a normal law-abiding life? Or do we have other incidents possibly in our area that could be floating around unsolved cases? So that's something that we'll obviously be paying a lot Absolutely. of attention to. Absolutely. He was, though, eventually extradited back to D.C. And a few days after his arrest at Conway, after waiving his right to a hearing, that's where he went back to. So he was officially charged with Merzayan's murder November 21st of 2019, so not that long ago. Now he's scheduled to appear in court in January 17th of 2020. So that's the next time he will be in court to answer the charges. And in light of his arrest, the Orange County Police Department, other law enforcement agencies along the East Coast announcing that they are going to, in fact, review any outstanding cases for possible similarities or likenesses to cases involving work. So in fact, like, like I was just saying, their heads are spinning as well, that when we have unsolved cases and he's been in this area for at least a year, mm -hmm. then we have to look at the fact that he is allegedly linked to these incidents in D.C. and could he be linked to incidents in our area? Sure, and it, yeah, like you said, not just our area, but you know other areas along the East Coast. Sure. So where was he before he came? Exactly. Yeah, that is still a question that has not been answered. You know, like you said, he's only been in Conway for about a year. Where was he before? Was he on the East Coast? Was he in the Midwest? Was he on the West Coast? Right. So it's it's a case we'll definitely keep following, and one that's um again you know a national case that wound up in our backyard. Right, and important to point out again that he has been charged at this point. He has not been found guilty of anything. However, we will closely be watching this case, as I'm sure the rest of the nation will. Sure. What, you know, media outlets throughout the country, whether they have a connection or not like we do, will still be interested in this case because it was such a profound serial rapist case in our country for so many years, you know, nearly three decades, that everybody wants to find out how it ends. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, obviously, um, an arrest, I would not can always venture to say, you know, was a sign of relief for the victims of his alleged crimes and also for the victims of um, um, Chris Christina Merzay and her family, you know, that she was the one who lost her life. So hopefully they're going to see justice in this case, whether, you know, whether it's through Warwick's conviction or if it turns out that there's another person and out he there. could lead them to somebody else. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So like you said, we'll be watching this closely and we'll definitely be following up with that here on Tr Carolina True Crime. Uh, for now, I'm Brad Dickerson. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Carolina True Crime. I'm Brad Dickerson, Digital Content Manager at WMBF News. We look forward to having you back for our next episode.